LinkedIn. Uh, I hope that a lot of people have tuned in. I will um, sort of play with the screens after we get you introduced and everything so that I can watch for comments and things throughout the program. Uh, my friends and uh, followers and colleagues and friends I haven't met yet that we are speaking to right now on LinkedIn or later on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram Reels uh, or on a podcast, anywhere you want to listen to podcasts. This is one of my favorite human beings in the world, Brian Lanier. And I actually, Brian, will you introduce yourself for me? Because I feel like I am going to miss something. Or do you want me to do it? I get nervous introducing you. There's so, there's so many things I want to tell them. And can I tell them my experience of you? Certainly. Your okay. show. Go I'll for it. <laughs> no, it's your show. We want to learn. But my experience of Brian is just that I met him uh, eight years ago, I think, with uh, my now husband. And we went to an amazing personal development uh, seminar with Brian. And then we went to, I think, like eight more. And we would just drive to Calgary every week from Lethbridge, even in the snow. And uh, even though we had to work early the next morning, because the stuff we were learning from Brian was just amazing. So uh, I consider him one of my favorite, most impactful mentors. And I know my husband does too. He uh, absolutely loves you, Brian. He always sends his love. And anyone who knows my big, tough husband is like, Tim loves people. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big deal for him to look up to you. Um, but you are the kindest, most clear um, leader that I've met because you're, you've never been mean or hurtful, but you've always delivered things very clearly to me and very directly. And I was able to completely change my life. Uh, I know you remember, and I'll just share this with people because it's hilarious, but uh, we went to this seminar because I thought there was something wrong with my husband, who at the time was my boyfriend, who did not want to get married to me. And I was like, well, he better go get fixed because I want him to want to marry me. And the funny thing that came out of the seminar was that I had some stuff that I had to work out and uh, I was actually the one with commitment issues. So after that seminar, Brian, I went and got tattooed uh, Tim all over myself and that was my commitment. And then what do you know, a few years later he proposed. So, um, but yeah, that's our experience with Brian and I'm lucky enough to be able to call him a personal mentor. Uh, and uh, he's done so much in his management consulting career. I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about that. And then I'll let him tell you what we're going to do here today. Please awesome. play, guys. Okay? Just be open. I promise. He won't hurt you. He won't let you down. He will take you places that you would have never gone without him. Okay? So just please play. That's my message. All right. Well, thank you, Kelly Ray. Thank you. And thanks. A shout out to Tim as well. Even though I don't have your tattoo here, I'll never forget you as well, Tim. I know you're watching. Um, everyone, my name is Brian Lanier. I live and work here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, and um, I designed the conversation that Kelly Ray invited me to have, and I designed it for a particular person. So see if you fall into this category. I designed the conversation uh, that's titled An Innovative Approach to Inclusion deliberately for any listeners that are in business, but not just anybody in business. I thought about three different people that I wanted to contribute to. So if you're in business and you're looking for ways to increase your bottom line, this talk is for you. Or if you're in business and you actually want to look at how can I expand my organization's capacity to be innovative and creative, this talk is for you. Or if you're in business and you're looking at, okay, 
how can I improve employee engagement? This talk is for you. So the talk is about increasing your bottom line and expanding innovation and creativity and increasing employee engagement. Now, you may not have thought that when you saw an innovative approach to inclusion, and you might not think that when you see me the way I look and you know that, oh, okay, this might just be a fancy way of saying diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it doesn't apply to me. But I promise you, this will be innovative. And I promise you that, well, I'll promise you that my intention is that this conversation is a contribution to all of us. Thank you. It will be. I forgot my piece of paper, so I'm going to get it right now. All right. Do you want to give us a little background or no? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll share with you that um, I have a background in the hospitality industry. So I started off working as a waiter and I worked my way up. I was born in the U.S. and I moved to uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So I've lived half my life in Canada, half in the U.S., in case you were looking, listening to my accent, trying to figure out which part of uh, Saskatchewan I'm from. Uh, I'm actually uh, an Army brat. Uh, born in Washington, D.C., and moved around a lot. Um, but I'm a, a dual citizen uh, of Canada and the U.S. And a while ago, uh, there was a chief human resource officer in California that was vetting me to hire our company to come in and do some diversity, equity, and inclusion work with them. And she said, Brian, I've got 2,000 employees, you know, and, and ever since George Floyd, I've got things with the pandemic. I've got things coming up with all these social issues. And she said, Brian, I wasn't trained as a chief HR officer on how to deal with all these complex social issues. No kidding. Back in the day, I had, you know, the police department or health officials or government dealt with them. So the approach that we take at my company, the leader circle, the leader circle is uh, uh, our leadership development and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultancy. We take an approach to take away the fear and some of the um, trepidation about how to have uncomfortable conversations, whether they be about race or LBGTQ plus, whether they be about, hey, this person in my family wants to get the vaccine, this person in the family doesn't want to get the vaccine, whatever is a quote unquote uncomfortable issue, that's what we're equipped to coach and uh, support you with tonight. Oh, I didn't know that last part. Yeah. If I may, I'd like to share with people just to set the tone. This, uh, the woman, I'll call her Carol, not her real name, but that's the name we're going to call her to protect her innocence. Um, she said, Brian, how do I have a safe space at work for people to have uncomfortable issues, whether it's the pandemic, race, or whatever? And what we say is we, don't believe that there is such a thing as a quote unquote safe space. And a safe space, I want to differentiate what we mean by that. So I'm putting my slides up here on the screen. So we're having a conversation, an innovative approach to inclusion. I'm just going to go through that just a little bit about uh, introducing myself coming from my place. So here's a picture of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where I live. And also I acknowledge that uh, before it was known as Calgary, it was, I acknowledge the Sutina Nation, uh, the people that were stewards of this land well before it was known as Calgary. And this is right from their website. And then also you can see our bungalow here, my spouse, Yvonne and I, in our forever home. And if you look closely, you can see uh, Fletcher, our, our puppy dog, 
uh, who's half Australian uh, shepherd and uh, half poodle and 100% Velcro, never leaves our side. And then that's my father. Uh, and uh, that's important to me to acknowledge uh, my parents. Uh, my mother just passed away in March. Uh, this is my father who's 89. And this is a picture of him in his birthplace in Bath, North Carolina. Um, but I want to, I offer that for you as a way of getting connected to other people. I offer, and in our workshops, we start off with having people introduce themselves, starting with place. And that is something that I got from doing a uh, course with a Glenn E. Singleton. He's been working with uh, an organization that he started over 25 years ago called Courageous Conversations About Race. And essentially, they were leading a, a program down in New Zealand. And so the Maori people said, hey, I don't care, Brian, that you've got an MBA. I don't care that you're a former regional vice president with Starbucks. I want to know your place. I want to know where you're from. So now in our workshops, we start off that way, just as I did there a moment ago, with inviting people to share where they're from, starting with place. Um, but here's what I wanted to, to bring that came from the conversation that, um, that Chief Human Resource Officer had with us about, Brian, how can you have a safe space in our company where people can talk about social issues or, or issues that are uh, divisive? And we said, well, we don't believe, and again, we're borrowing this from uh, a course I took with uh, Glenn E. Singleton on Courageous Conversations about Race, but we don't believe that there's such thing as a safe space, a place intended to be free of bias or judgments or conflict or criticism or potentially threatening actions or harmful comments. Because your listeners automatically, part of being a human being, we're judging how this podcast is going. Heck, I'm judging myself. How's it going? <laughs> you know, I mean, we do that naturally. But instead of taking on a, a, a safe space, we invite you to take on what's called brave space. And I'm going to read a poem that was created by author and poet Mickey Scott Bay Jones on this next uh, page. And Kelly Ray, I'm inviting you and your listeners to get to see what they discover with an invitation to brave space as we have our, our podcast tonight. So she said, an invitation to brave space. Together we will create brave space because there's no such thing as a safe space. We exist in the real world. We all carry scars and we've all caused wounds. In this space, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world. We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more truth and love. We have the right to start somewhere and continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. We will not be perfect. This space will not be perfect. It will not always be what we wish it to be, but it will be our brave space together and we will work on it side by side. So Anything you want to say about that, Kelly Ray, or any uh, any comments from your listeners about stepping into this conversation from brave space, distinct from safe space? When I initially heard the brave space invitation, it made me sad uh, hearing that we can't have a, a true safe space. But as I got through the entirety of the, the, the piece, I do understand. 
uh, it really hits home for me. Um, and then the ending is beautiful. So I'm, I feel like let's do it. Let's do this together in our brave space. And all of us can work on it side by side because none of us have it perfect. And, uh, that's why we're all here, especially me and especially why I'm willing to be your live, uh, test subject. And Brian asked me, do I need to tell you what, you know, what I'm going to do with you? And I'm like, no, do whatever I will learn, you know, I'll learn for the public and they can learn through me. Um, but I, that's because I have a lot of trust with Brian. So I know that he's not going to do anything to embarrass me or hurt me. I know that I'm in uh, a safe space in my opinion, but, uh, I commit to this brave space. So this should be good. Great. Thank you. Well, um, we are focused on um, this being a brave space, which is on the right, really a learning environment that allows learners to engage with one another and have authentic conversations involving uncomfortable social issues in a professional setting with sensitivity, respect, responsibility, and self-reflection. So in a few moments, we're going to do an exercise that I'm going to invite you, Kelly Ray, and your listeners to take on. And it's, again, it's all designed that you can see I can see, we can see how we show up in terms of uh, our natural ability to be inclusive of others or not. And we acknowledge that it takes, it takes some uh, courage to have these kinds of conversations. So thank you again for inviting me and thank you to your listeners for being here. Um, the focus that we take on and what we invite people to take on, it, oftentimes people hear diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they'll turn to an out especially if we're talking to uh, business people that don't consider themselves in a marginalized uh, or a, a group. However, please listen to our conversation with a focus and a highlight on, on inclusion. So inclusion, we're taking this from the Society of Human Resource Management, their definition, is the achievement of a work environment in which all individuals are treated fairly and respectfully have equal access to opportunities and resources, and they can contribute fully to the organization's success. So again, if you're in business, or if you're a business owner, or if you've ever participated with a business, ask yourself, how inclusive is this business? Ask yourself, how much do I feel I can, I'm, a, uh, I'm wanted there or welcome there? And uh, I love this next quote that we're borrowing from, um, Vernon Myers, who uh, I don't think she's there anymore, but she was the vice president of inclusion strategy at Netflix. And she came up with this. Many of your listeners may have heard this, but diversity is being invited to the dance and inclusion is being invited to dance. So what we're after is we want to have organizations, businesses in particular, all of our communities, all of the world, ideally, but our focus at the leader circle is on business. We want people to know, not only do you have a place where you can dance, where you're invited to dance, but we want your creativity. We want to have your voice heard. So in this next segment, we'd like to move into this inquiry of how inclusive is your organization? In a moment, I'm asking you to, to um, inviting you to take on what we call the trust exercise. So Kelly Ray, you'll need a pen and paper I will ask you to be the, uh, the live uh, person that does this exercise, if you're willing, and people watching can do it at home. Yep. 
and uh, just you know also though the there will be a ton of listeners later on all the different places where you can hear podcasts mm -hmm. so um if you're listening to this later on a podcast please do the exercise as well this is huge grab a paper and pen now great so everyone i first uh came across this uh, by a gentleman uh, named scott horton and he's a diversity and equity facilitator out of a company uh, down in the US. He's been doing this for over 25 years. Um, and um, it's very, very powerful. So the exercise that we're about to do is designed to provide you with personal insights. And it's we call it the trust exercise. And trust however you define trust. So I'm not going to give you a definition of trust. I'm going to invite you in a few moments to make a list of the people you trust. So I request you take a piece of paper and list the top 10 people that you trust and leave room on this page. Turn the page uh, landscape because we're going to write across it, but on the far left-hand column, perfect. Perfect, Kelly Ray. Make a list of one to 10. Now, here's the one rule with it. Avoid listing family members. Avoid listing family members. And as we go through this exercise, just write down the first name or the initial of whomever you trust. And those of you that are watching, you can pause this. I'm going to go a little bit faster because we have a live, live audience. And I know that you might need a little bit more time. Okay. Now, the rest of this exercise is just fill out across the top. These are a variety of diversity dimensions. So if you go through your list of names and code them based on their diversity in each of these categories, these columns, just write next to their name what gender or what pronoun they go by or what race or ethnicity is there, their age. I just got accidentally muted. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Sorry. So um, the question is, uh, what if we don't know their race or ethnicity? And what if they don't even know it because they haven't done the DNA test? And like my husband, he's like 17 different things. Yeah. So what should we put there? Again, that's a great question. Thank you for that question. I've not had that question before. This is your own test to provide you and you alone with insights. So what I think their ethnicity is, I have to guess. Sure. Yeah. Or you can put a question mark there. That's fine. Do there I have to show this to you? No, you do not have to show this to me. I'm kidding. Okay. Okay, so write down, just fill this, the rest of this out, if you would, please, everyone. And now we're going to go through the next part of the exercise. Now, that's for your own, okay? And Kelly Ray, I'm not going to ask you to share your results at all, okay? But I, I will ask you a, a question at the very, very end. There's several different spaces for this. I don't mind sharing my results. I told you that I was uh, ready to play. So if you want me to, I absolutely will. Not yet, but I will then. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Okay. Now, let's look at the rest of this uh, circle of trust and this exercise. So when Scott Horton created this exercise, it's a way for people to see how inclusive are they naturally. And if you look, the outermost ring, this tends to be uh, what he calls the high people, this outer circle. And if we look, most of us have, you know, a, a fixed number of people that we'll say hi to. Uh, the The... Uh, Stacy at the 7-Eleven, you know, where I go, you know, I'll say hi to Stacy or uh, 
the person um, that walks their dog. When I watch my walk my dog Fletcher, I'll say hi to Remy's owner, dog owner, or Jasper's owner. I know the dog's names. I don't know the people's names, but this outer circle, this tends to be the most diverse group of people that we quote unquote interact with on a regular basis. Could be your dry cleaner, could be a neighbor, uh, you know, four or five doors down. So the circle of trust, first, we have that large outer ring. And for most people, when they look, that's where they have the most diversity in that large outer ring. Then the next ring, this is what is called, I love his acronym here, the comfy ring. Uh, and that acronym stands for come over to my front yard. So if you look in your own life, before they make that innermost circle that you wrote down in your top 10 list, these are the people that you're comfortable that they'll come over to your front yard. Uh, my next door neighbors, um, uh, Rob and Wendy, you know, are in my comfy circle. Uh, or uh, some people that I work with, you know, John, Kelly, you know, they'll come over to and be in my comfy circle. And then your innermost circle, you know, is what we call our trust circle. That's where people that do this exercise find that they quote unquote trust people, however you define trust. And this is what happens over time when relationships are built or whatever criteria you have that it takes for you to be in and have um, somebody trusted. Now, Kelly Ray, in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to share what are you noticing it takes to go from your outer circle into your innermost circle. What are you noticing, Kelly Ray and listeners? What are the commonalities on your inner circle? What, uh, what if anything is missing on your inner circle? What are you getting so far, Kelly Ray? So your question was, what am I noticing about my inner circle, my most trusted people? Uh -huh. So my husband, my business partner, you... My mentor, Elaine, my best friend, Aaron, um, and I only got to there. I only got to five. Okay. Trying to do too many things at once. What am I noticing about them? Uh -huh. uh, I've known them for a long time. Uh -huh. They give me advice that uh, is great, is good. Uh -huh. uh, they're different genders, but there is no one that is not straight. Uh -huh. They are various ages, yes. uh, various races. Uh -huh. um, in fact, I think I only have one white trusted person. Sorry, Rye. <laughs> uh, I would. I only had five though, so I would have had ten. Um, education uh, all over the place. Um, like master's degree. What do you have, Rye? Uh, I think the education of all my five is all over the place. Okay. Uh, I know the education of Ryan. He's a CPED. Don't haha -ha me, Ryan. I know. Um, uh, disability, that really makes me feel like a bad person because uh, I don't have any friends who have disabilities. Yeah, got that. And they are all married. And they're all married. No, except for one. Okay, great. Now, we've done this exercise uh, ourselves in our company literally with hundreds of people in business. Uh, one of our clients we've had for seven years, they've got 5,000 employees. We've trained everyone from the owner of the, and they're in both the US and Canada. 
We've trained the owner uh, of their company and their top three, uh, 210 uh, managers and executives. We've trained CEOs of multi-million dollar organizations. We've trained all levels of people in business. And I want to tell you some of the themes of what they've said that they've gotten out of doing this. What they've shared with us is the majority of those people, when they do this same exercise, find that there is a quote unquote, like me bias, that the people that tend to be on their innermost circle are most like themselves. Some people were shocked that they heard, that they saw, they had one particular uh, gender that was in their, um, their innermost circle. Other people were shocked that it took a certain uh, level of education for you to quote unquote, make it. It doesn't matter what you, what you, uh, what is there or not there. And I know that I'm not talking to most people. You'll have whatever you got for yourself out of doing that exercise. The thing that we'd like for you to consider and what was surprising for people as they did this is when you have something at work and you really have to get it done, you know, it's a high, uh, highly important project you need done or something that's very sensitive or it's going to have a lot of visibility. Who are you most likely to give that kind of project to? Are you going to give it to somebody that's in your outermost circle, your high people? Are you going to give it to people that are in your comfy circle? Are you going to give it to someone who's in your trust circle? And most people, when they confront it and they're honest with themselves, they find that they give it to someone in their innermost trust circle. Then what they what's there to confront is that can be a limitation in business. At the end of our talk, I'll share with you some of the uh, um, data on, on why the business case data on why have diversity, equity, and inclusion in business. I'll end with that. But when you, you and I continue to keep going to the same well, keep having the same people that we quote unquote trust, we'll tend to get more of what we know and what we're used to. And we, it's like, it's analogous to having blinders on and not even knowing that we don't know that we're not open to seeing and experiencing new things. Yes, Kelly Ray, I do hear you now. Okay, thanks. Uh, I filled in the rest of my 10 people. And I guess I did accidentally uh, fill this out with bias because I knew what was coming. I promised you I wouldn't and I tried so hard. But the last five people that I filled in are all the same race. They're, they all work for me. They're different genders, but they're similar age, same sexual orientation, same, similar education, no disability, uh, similar marital status. So I guess when you, my answer before, when I based it on the first five people, there was some similarities, but now, there are a lot more similarities, but with that realization, I have a question because um, like, how do you just, when we're hiring, and I mean, the company, the two companies that I'm involved, that I run, that I own, um, especially the one that I own with my partner, Ryan, um, and most of the team members are probably on here listening right now because that's who they are. Um, when we hire people, and we want to hire people who are the best for the job. And we purposely do not consider race, gender, sexual orientation, 
education, honestly, um, all these things to make sure that we are not, well, I thought I could make sure I could do this exercise unbiased and that was impossible, but we tried to just pick the best candidate, never ever disqualify someone because they're not like us. But it seems like, especially where we live, most of the people that work for me, we have very similar characteristics. So how do we, what's the answer to that? Because I know I told you before what my suggestion was and you said, no, absolutely not. Do not do that. Mm -hmm. Hire the best person for the job. Mm -hmm. So how do we create a 10 people list that is not just like us so that we can innovate? Great question. And I'm going to, I'm going to, um, give you an access to it. Okay. There's not a answer like a fix or a solution, but I'll give you an access and I'm going to move into that in a moment. So the first thing you want to do everybody before you can actually address how do I, what do I do about this? Brian, like Kelly Ray's asking, you want to first start with where you're at. If, uh, my family is looking at booking our family vacation in February and we call the travel agent. The very first thing a travel agent wants to know before you book a, a trip to a tropical resort is where are you starting from? So in the next conversation, we want to have you look at where are you starting from? That exercise you just did with seeing, hey, five people out of my 10 people, you know, look like me, not bad or wrong, but we want to bring in some of the neuroscience behind what we're calling what's called unconscious bias. So you can start to see you're not a bad person for having that and start to take away some of the quote unquote guilt or shame because we don't want anyone stopped by guilt or shame. And that's sometimes what can happen with people. So for this conversation, I'm going to share a little bit from the uh, prize winner, uh, Pulitzer Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman who wrote the book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Now, I'm not pretending I'm an expert on neuroscience at all. I'm going to give you uh, some excerpts of uh, Daniel Kahneman. You can see he does some TED Talks, fascinating book, Thinking Fast and Slow. So we can start to have an appreciation for how the brain works and how this shows up that I'm gravitating towards people that are like me or that I have that like me bias. So a very... Go ahead, Kelly Ray. Sorry, Brian. What we usually, our listeners usually want to know the book and the author. So is that going to pop up somewhere that I could take a picture? No, it, it I won't. write it down. It won't. Uh, Who is it again? Daniel Kahneman, K-A-H-N-E-M-A-N. And the book is titled Thinking, colon, Fast and Slow. Great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, I'd recommend search him on YouTube for TED Talks. He's okay. fascinating TED Talks. So what he distinguishes is our brains use two thinking systems that operate simultaneously. One is our subconscious brain, our fast brain, and the other one is our, our conscious brain or our slow brain. So the fast brain, let's say a little bit about that. This part of the brain, it's got, you see the arrow going right here to the uh, uh, it's called the amygdala gland. It's the same part of the brain uh, stem that's in all reptiles. This is the part of the brain that says, uh, do I fight, flight, or freeze right now? And we want to look at the difference between the fast brain and the slow brain. So the fast brain is automatic. It's unconscious and natural. 
It's associative, it's repetitive, and it's past-based. So if I were to say to you, you and your listeners, I'm going to say three words, and you tell me what's the first name that comes to mind when you hear these three words. Just do it. Just do it. You're on mute there, Kelly Ray, but I think you mouthed. Just do it. What did you say? Nike. We, Nike. All, said, we all said Nike. Yeah, we all said Nike because we've associated, we've heard it so many, many times, right? Or uh, my uh, son-in-law and his wife uh, recently had a baby months ago. We did a gender reveal party. He's a former semi-pro hockey player. So we got a hockey puck full of dye. So when he hit the hockey puck, the color would come out of the hockey puck and everyone that was standing outside could see what gender the baby was and the powder came out and it was blue. And what gender is the baby? Somebody boy, right? Yeah. But that's your, you don't have to think about that because we're taught baby boys associate with blue baby girls associate with pink, but that's our fast brain going. So the amygdala that I talked about fight, flight, freeze, and it can't and never stops. Then there's this other part uh, that we want you to get is your fast brain can take in 11 million bits of information every second, 11 million bits every second, but it can't do anything with all that information. So we have the slow brain, which is deliberate. It's the prefrontal cortex. It's controlled. It's effortless. It's reflective and deductive. And out of those 11 million bits, it can process 40 bits per second, but it can only deal with about seven bits per second. So you want to start to get fast brain says, good person, bad person, trust this person, hire this person. They look like me. That's all fast brain. So the brain as well, Daniel Kahneman goes on to say, not only do we use two thinking systems that operate simultaneously, fast brain, slow brain, our brain sorts people into categories. It does it automatically. And biases become wired within the human brain. So we have a bias for tall people. We have a bias for a certain uh, uh, person. And it's all happening fast brain. And the wiring sets a set of systemic thinking patterns called biases. And our biases are learned through culture and experiences. And they are contextual. So you're not a bad person for having those thoughts. I get on the Deerfoot Trail Highway. I drive my car. I look in the rearview mirror. I see a certain model of car, certain color, come up behind me, weaving in between, wave, uh, lane to lane. Automatically, my fast brain can tell you, tells me, I can tell you their age. I can tell you their ethnicity. I can tell you their gender. I look over to verify it. Wouldn't it be me in my new car, would it? Wow. Maybe. No comment. Conversely, if I get in the, on the highway and I'm behind a slow driver in the passing lane, I'll pass. I'll look over again. I'll tell you the, it'll tell me the ethnicity. It'll tell me the age of the driver. And I look to verify. That's my fast brain thinking. I'm not a bad person. You're not a bad person for having those thoughts. We first want you to get the automaticity of how the brain works. Why? What's the point with all this? Because we want you to be able to interrupt it. And ultimately, we want you to be able to have an environment where all people can have the experience of being included. I don't write off that person 
because I think that they are a bad driver because they remind me of the person that drove in the slow lane five minutes before I got to work. But it all happens unconsciously or that customer that I tune out because they remind me of a bad experience that I had X years ago in school. So we want to look at this next piece here about, again, how the brain shows up and uh, how it can show up in business and what we can do to interrupt it. So Kelly Ray, what's common in this picture? What's happening in all three of these pictures? Someone's left out. Someone's left out. Yeah. So when we do this work with somebody, uh, with clients, we actually have them get present to what's it like when you feel excluded? And what we often do is we have people spend, we're not going to do it now since it's just you and me, but what we do in our workshops is we ask people to recall a specific event where you experience being excluded. And we have people look at, you know, could have happened in school or could have happened with your family or friends or at work. And then we ask people to consider what was the impact? What was it like when you were excluded? I share about when I first came up from uh, Dallas, Texas to Edmonton, Alberta, and I was running a restaurant, brought up to run a restaurant. I was 21, 22 years old and a group of business executives, they were all older than me. Uh, we were playing flag football uh, and I was getting a way to get to know people. And there was one other guy that was on the team that looked like me and the rest of the people were white. And I was playing quarterback. I went back and threw the ball. I got intercepted. And I was dejected immediately. And then I started running after the guy that, that intercepted me. And Marty ran and he got a touchdown. He slammed down the football. He said, hey, 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 I beat the black guy. Now, that was his fast brain. I beat the black guy. He's white. I'm black. I beat the black guy. Because his fast brain told him black guys are fast. White guys are slow. That was, And then in that moment, I felt excluded. Now, later on, he apologized. Oh, you know, we went for beer and pizza. It was no harm, no foul. But that was just an, a, an example of the impact when people are at the effect of someone else's fast brain or at the effect of being excluded. So the brain, back to Daniel Kahneman's book, the brain responds to exclusion in the same way that it registers pain. It shows up as a chaotic threat signal. And it impairs our perpetual awareness. It reduces mental clarity. It, and it, when it happens consistently, it can cause mental and physical health problems. So again, business people, if you're in business, if you run a business, if you go to a business, we want to train you to start to see the connection between the fast brain and how when we blurt things out or when we don't slow down in our thinking or being present with people, how we might inadvertently leave people that we work with with the experience of being excluded. And in business, there's a financial impact. Okay. Yes, go ahead. I've got some questions and comments that I wanted to talk. Uh, Ryan wants to back up a little bit, but just before you go a little bit further, um, Ryan said, "I, I feel like we tend to be drawn towards individuals that we as people view as successful or that display attractive qualities that we want or are particularly interested in. Is it possible that these traits don't have anything to do with the person's identity traits, but their societal 
slash business slash character outcomes? Absolutely, it's possible. And he says, yeah, this question is more regarding the inner circle. So when you're speaking to us about this, you're speaking in generalities, not necessarily saying every single one of you guys out there listening is doing this all the time. Absolutely. I am not saying every single person is doing it 24-7. Absolutely not. The exercises are designed to have us see what could be in our blind spots that could have people around us not have the experience of being authentically included. You know, I, uh, you promised you wouldn't make me cry again, I think. No, you actually wouldn't promise. Um, but I remember I had a survey come back. And I don't know if uh, my team member who filled out the survey is listening because uh, it's anonymous. But um, I thought I was so inclusive. And uh, I got a survey a few months ago that said, uh, I feel like no one ever asks me for my opinion. Mm. And I don't know who that was because it was anonymous. Um, so now they're not anonymous anymore because we have a really very uh, comfortable, open door. We can chat about anything sort of policy. So I want people to know that you can put your name on that if you feel like you haven't been asked for your opinion. Um, what do you think about that? I think a couple of things. One, I think I acknowledge you for being brave enough to uh, put the survey out in the first place and ask for feedback. That's first and foremost. And then the other thing that I would offer, not only for you, Kelly Ray, with that particular survey, and somebody said that they don't feel that they're uh, heard. Is that what you said? They said, I feel like no one ever asks me for my opinion. Yeah, they said, no, uh, they feel no one ever asked me for my opinion. Now, if you come back to the brain science that we talked about before, your fast brain will be tends to be our fast brain will be emotional. I'm bad. I'm wrong. I've got to fix it. However, what we're offering you, and we're only giving your listeners, you know, about a 45 minute to a 60 minute conversation that when we work with organizations, we do at least a half a day or longer. And then we leave them with things to practice. So we're not going to have a nice bow and ribbon around all this inside of tonight's podcast. Okay. I would have you practice is practice getting what is said in the survey and taking it at face value without defending it, without saying it's wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. They should put their name on it. No. Now I want to look. Somebody that I work with is contributing to me to tell me that they have a feeling that sometimes they're not asked for their opinion. So if that has me, going back to the brain, just slow down more. And for me to start to look at, they might not be in my inner circle. You know, then we can give, we give people practices like start to see what groups of people or what types of people aren't in your inner circle. And if you're interested, and you might not be, in expanding then learn more about groups or eat in a different area, you know, COVID uh, and everything else, be responsible, obviously, but start to go out and, and learn and ask and listen. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. Absolutely. Do we have any other, I know we're coming up on the last 11 minutes here. Do we have any other comments or 
Brian said, copy that. Okay, great. Um, I want to share a couple of other um, uh, studies that have been done so your listeners can start to see how our unconscious biases, and that's why we call them unconscious, everyone. You're not a bad person. Marty, when he interrupt, when he intercepted me and said, I beat the black guy, he didn't mean to hurt me. It was there for him. It was, you know, he was raised and, and everything that happened in his life, you know, it gets in our unconscious bias, whether we can remember it consciously or not. And then we become to believe, you know, just do it is Nike. And you become to believe that, you know, gay people are fill in the blank. Black people are fill in the blank. Tall people are fill in the blank. Indigenous people are fill in the blank. But if you can start to slow down and get that that is not what's happening right now in this moment, you're not being present in this moment, and you start to get that it's a practice, that's how you can interrupt, not get rid of, but that's how you can disrupt unconscious bias and start to have an environment that has more inclusivity. Yes, Kelly Ray. I'm sorry. I would keep you on here for three hours if I could, but I know I only have 10 more minutes, but quick question. Yeah. Uh, because like my best friend group is I'm the only white person. Um, they make jokes like specifically, like my friends constantly joke about their own backgrounds mm-hmm. or like one of my best friends um, likes to say like, Oh, I'm just hanging out with my Asian friends tonight. Like you guys don't, get invited to that like but she's serious she hangs out with her asian friends and then she hangs out with us but tim is 41 percent asian but i mean like when we get into this like i ha- I get so frustrated by this conversation because i feel like we're all 100 human beings mm. and then the comment that that guy made about you at football made me want to punch that guy but then i thought but my friends make those jokes all the time like someone who's black that we go dirt biking with that he makes fun of himself that that's not a black man's sport, you know, like what makes it okay and not okay. Like if they say it, is it okay? Because it makes me uncomfortable Mm. and I just want to yell at everyone. Just Mm. stop separating ourselves from each other and just, let's just all be humans. But that's a very, that's a six-year-old kid's view on when I learned about white people were racist and I don't want to be white anymore. So um, my whole last 32 years, I just have been like, can we all just get along? Can we all just be the same? And I've heard different views like, no, we're all very different and that should be celebrated. But then that comment about the football thing was wrong. But then my friend saying that I can't come to her party because it's Asians only. She thinks that's funny. That hurts my feelings. Is that okay? Great questions. I do not, and I don't recommend, we look for a one, you know, always do this response. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and um, that's part of the reason why we began tonight's talk differentiating between safe space, which is a space free of criticism, free of judgments, free of make wrong. And that's why we're introducing you Mickey Scott Bay Jones poem about brave space, because it takes courage to interrupt your friend and say, when you just said that, I felt this way. Did you mean for me to feel that way? That takes courage. So we, we work with people over periods of time 
so that a whole environment has a common language, brave space, safe space, fast brain, slow brain. And we start to give people tools and approaches that they can start to have these quote unquote uncomfortable conversations and make some headway. Okay. Let me just go into a couple things here, Kelly Ray, just uh, as we wrap up. So this is from a University of North Carolina studied with married men. What they found was in this, and they looked at uh, 1500 married men and they did this study uh, to get the impact of unconscious bias. Men married to women with careers selected men and women candidates equally. And they found that men married to women who were homemakers overwhelmingly chose candidates who were men. They're not bad or wrong. That's just was an unconscious bias. I can see you mouthing. I don't hear you. Hiring men who choose men in hiring. This is the hiring. Yeah. And this was a University of North Carolina study of 1500 people. What were the percentages? Uh, I don't know, but like overwhelming majority, you said overwhelming majority. And then another one, this is uh, Malcolm Gladwell in his book. Uh, I think it was Blank or Outliers, but he did. He cited us another survey that it was Blank, 2004 study. And what he found was there was a correlation between height and success. So tall men, six feet or over, were significantly mm-hmm. more likely to achieve CEO positions. And what the theory is, is that uh, in school, you know, way back in school, the teacher looks out back in elementary school, who's going to lead the kids out on the fire drill? They look out in the highest body that they see, you know, they go to Johnny and Johnny leads the fire drill, you know, in first grade, second grade. And then, you know, who's going to do this? And again, Johnny's taller than anyone else. So Johnny has more opportunities for leadership. It's an unconscious bias. And that's what uh, contributes to some of the um, gender disparity that we see in business, as well as some of the unconscious bias that um, our leaders, quote unquote, should be tall, you know, uh, and each inch of height equates to $789 in more value. So all of this, the punchline of this is to consider the impact of like me bias has on your company's capacity to be creative and innovative and speculate what actions you could take to disrupt like me bias in your your company. And then really quickly, I'm just gonna throw this out at you. And if people want want this data, this is uh, the business case. I can tell you, um, just send, contact me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to uh, tell you where we got this from the different uh, studies, but you'll see it right here. Diverse companies enjoy, why should an average business owner care about diversity and equity? Uh, Diverse companies enjoy 2.3 times higher cash flow per employee. And that's from Built In. They did a survey. Diverse management boosts revenue by 19%. That's from Boston Consulting Group. Teams that are gender, age, and ethnically diverse make better decisions up to 87% of the time. That's from the source of that study is Global Diversity Practice. However, 41% of managers say that they're too busy to prioritize diversity in the workplace from built in. Yes. How do you prioritize diversity in the workplace? Uh, well, you're, you're prioritizing it as your podcast. Out of all the possible topics you could have talked about tonight, you said, I'm going to make this a priority. You study it, you learn about it, you get trained on it. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And again, everyone, in the interest of time, these are just some other uh, key stats on 
why diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, why it matters, why it adds to your bottom line, why it adds to your employee engagement, why it adds to your uh, capacity to have expanded innovation and creativity. Don't believe me. This is look at the data. Kelly Ray, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners about an innovative approach to inclusion. We hope that we've given people a business case to uh, look at this, and we hope that we've given them something new to look at with the circle of trust exercise as well. Absolutely. People are being sure with their questions. Um, Ryan did say, thank you so much, Brian. Your love for people is palpable. Uh, right. And uh, okay, I have a question from one of my uh, leaders. Yes. Is it wrong to use humor altogether when dealing with some of these issues? I've heard some say they joke because they feel like some of these issues are behind us. Mm. Is this not okay? Yeah, that's a great question. It's um, going back to the fast brain, slow brain, and why we bring in the neuroscience is the way the approach that we have at the leader circle is to take out the right and wrong of it. If I have it, is it wrong to always use humor? And is it right when I don't? Then I'm in a more of a defensive, yes, no, right, I'm right, you're wrong. And we want you to um, consider that it's not wrong, that's your fast brain, that you automatically have always used humor, perhaps, ever since grade school, you know, when you were up against it. We're inviting you to start practicing being present. We're inviting you to start bringing your slow brain practices to being present with people. And if you typically find yourself, quote unquote, to use what I'm hearing is in the question, always using humor, perhaps if the word always is in there, that's fast brain. What, what is a new approach you could take to slow down, to be present, to actually discover the person? Without humor, I would invite you to practice it. I feel like Tim, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong. This is not my husband, Tim. This is my work leader, Tim. Um, but my husband, Tim, did send a text message that I'm supposed to read you. Ha ha, awesome. Tell Brian I love him. Mm. So Tim Vanderward, uh, he's the one that asked the question. I think he said, is it wrong to use humor altogether? Like, I think he's asking, like, just never use humor. I think that's what he's saying. Um, but I don't think he's the one using humor. I think he's asking about other people who may be in minority using humor about their own. I have a friend who does that, too. The, the same person who has the Asian night without me. Mm. And it's like a funny thing. So I think that was the question. And uh, so I guess follow up. If Tim doesn't want to ask this, I will. Can we tell our friends like, hey, that hurts our feelings, <laughs> you know, like are people in the majority, is it acceptable for us to express that we don't feel included? I feel like a lot of people would hate that question. Yeah. Um, going back to Tim's question for a moment, then I'll address yours. If I hear myself saying always or never then those are hints that I'm coming from my fast brain and I'm not slowing down and being present. So I, I would offer that to Tim 
to notice if he's saying, is it always, or should I never, okay. that's, that's an opportunity to slow down. Um, and then ask me your question again, Kelly Ray. Well, um, is it okay for someone who looks like me to tell someone who looks like my best friends who are all different, uh, races that, uh, actually because of you, because of our first, um, live, I had a conversation with one of my best friends who's Japanese and, uh, we used to have a particular nickname for her and everyone thought it was so funny. Oops. And, uh, when I asked her about it, she actually said, yeah, that does bother me. <laughs> and I was like 10 years later and I just found out. So I have never used that nickname with her again, even though she always used to laugh about it. My question was, can I say to, well, what are your thoughts on, I'm not going to get involved in wrong making, but what are your thoughts on me sharing with my friend who is not white uh, that I feel left out when I can't come to Asian night? Like, I don't understand why it can't just be friends night. Yeah. Brilliant question. I think, um, first of all, it was brave of you to ask your friend after 10 years how it made her feel. Again, that goes back to brave space that took courage on your part. And um, we also coach people in being authentic. So if you hold yourself out that everyone around you matters, then act accordingly. If you hold yourself out that I, I want to do unto others as they do unto me, or if I hold myself that what's important to me is that I value that people are left bigger than smaller after being around me. That'll give me a place to come from. I might say, Kelly Ray, I have a question to ask you and I'm uncomfortable to even ask you, but I want you to know upfront, I love you, I care about you. Are you open to me having an uncomfortable conversation knowing that at the end I'm committed that it turn out? You know, so that's something I might say as an approach. I'm not saying that's what people have to say. Do you have to go right away? I, uh, not right away, but I do need to check in with a family member. Um, yes, I remember that. Okay. So we'll let you go. I have follow-up questions. Um, but we're going to work with you. I'm going to work with you one-on-one. Thank you. I'm so grateful that you said yes, Brian. So thank you so much. It's one of the things I'm most excited about in my life right now. And, uh, our teams actually in all three of our locations, our companies, our clinics, our shoe stores, our business coaching company. We all want to work with you as a group as well. Um, And I'll be recommending this training and I'll be sharing this podcast with all of our clients. Mm. Um, One last question, and you can tell me this is too much for like five minutes past overtime already. But um, one thing that I, I like to teach my team that I like to teach my friends that I like to teach that I like to just say is that we have 27 conversations a day on average. And when I want to have a conversation with you about something, it's just a conversation. I don't want to tell you it's a difficult conversation. Uh, I'll be authentic. I'll tell you it hurt my feelings and I'll ask how you feel. Um, But I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by people where when I say, can you come into my office? They're like, sure. Should I grab a bottle of champagne and a beer? Or like, do you want to talk about a spreadsheet? It's not a hard conversation, even though it's about some hard stuff. Is that okay? That's authentic for you. That's a natural expression of who Kelly Ray is. That works. I love it. Thank you.
Absolutely. Thank yeah, you. I, I keep trying to put you in boxes, hey? Yeah. Always this or never this, yeah. That's a fast brain, likes to sort people into categories. We yeah. do it automatically. Kelly Ray and everyone, thank you very much. I look forward to thank being you with you all in the future. Okay. There's so many thank yous in the comments, and we appreciate you so much. And uh, if you ever come back, I think we're going to have a lot bigger audience, and Jeff's going to bring his microphone, and I'm going to bring my microphone, <laughs> and it's going to be a bigger party. But we're going to spread this as far and wide as possible because uh, – I just feel like my brain is so open right now. I'm going to go watch some TED Talks, read some books and share this with everyone I know. I hope everyone listening, whether it's live or later on uh, on anywhere you can listen to podcasts or on my YouTube channel or on my Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, please share this, guys. I think this conversation is incredibly important, not just because racism needs to end and uh, not including people needs to end, but having the angry conversations where we're very divided is not working. It doesn't work. So having a conversation like this with Brian, where it's easing into it, it is truthful. It is honest. It's direct. It's clear. It's kind, but it's from almost like the positive angle of inclusion Mm -hmm. and the dance quote, you know, like this doesn't have to be a hateful conversation where we fight. This can be a really cool, curious, loving conversation that will change the world. So please, if you've seen this or you've heard this, please share this and please stay tuned because I hope to have a lot more uh, Brian-isms, even if it comes from my perspective, (laughs) I will share. So thank you all for being here. Uh, And everyone is saying thank you to you, Brian. So thank you so much. And I, uh, I wish you and your family well. Please keep in touch and I'll talk to you soon. Well, okay, everyone. And if they need anything else, they can find me on LinkedIn or leadercircle.com. I'm going to take everything all over the place. People will contact you. Are you checking your Facebook or should I leave that one out? I'm not on Facebook. Well, you are, but you just don't check it. I don't check it. That's right. Get off of there. (laughs) You probably have 100 clients wanting to work with you on there. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. One more thing before you leave. Perfect end note. Ryan Bowles. Brave Space for the win. Mm. It's a gaming term, but it it does make sense literally. So I love that. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for adding that. But um, thank you, Brian. We'll let you go now. Thank you so much. And I look forward to our next interaction. And thank you, everybody, for being here. And let's share the crap out of this, please. The world needs to hear this. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Bye-bye.